that, that really is one of my, my favorite, fam, favorite Christmas uh, movies of all time. We're in a series. Uh, normally, this series we do in the summertime. It's at the movies. And so this is sort of our special edition at the movies at Christmas time. And what we do in this series is we take a truth that we want to be reminded of, especially this time of year, and then we, we try to find a, a, a movie that sort of illustrates and highlights the, the truth that we're pointing out. And of course, this weekend, you saw it in the trailer, it's Elf. Now, Elf is one of those modern-day classics, and uh, my family watched it on Friday, and it's one of, the, of my top five. So I'm going to ask, how many of you would put Elf in, in your top five Christmas favorites? Okay, about 50%. The other 50% have higher standards than I do. Okay, that's, that's fine. Um, so I've watched three of my five so far. I have watched Elf. I've watched, um, the, I've watched the Grinch. Um, and then I've watched uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Those are three that I've watched. I've not watched A Christmas Carol yet. And I've not watched, um, um, what's the other one that I watched? Scrooge. So oh, I also watched uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Watched that last night. Not that like the, the claymation one, the uh, the animation one. That, that I like that one. So they, these things help us get into the spirit, the Christmas spirit. And uh, so if you've watched Elf, you know that in the trailer he finds out that he's not an elf. I don't know if it was his height that that gave it away or the fact that he could not make toys. Uh, elves are good for three things: they can make toys, they can make shoes, or they can make cookies. And so there's only three things that they can do. Um, but he finds out that he's not an elf. And when he finds out that he's not an elf, uh, he's in, he's, he, the rest of the movie is about him trying to find his identity, find out his dad and what his family's like. And so he has this desperate need because there's something that's missing in his life. So I want to ask you, what is the one thing that you're desperate for this holiday season? And all the kids are like, Xbox, PlayStation. I'm not asking what's on your Christmas list. I'm asking like... Deep down in your heart, like, what, what is the thing that, that you're missing? One of the things that you're, that you're longing for. And if you could ask God for that one thing, what would it be? For some of us, we know exactly what that would be. Uh, we've been through a difficult time and been laid off, and so we would ask God for a job. We need to get back to work. Uh, for some of us, it, maybe it's our physical health or our emotional health. We've just been really struggling uh, because of the pandemic. And so we would ask God just for, uh, for us to be healthier. Maybe it's a relationship, and uh, you've, you've gone through a rough patch, and you're just wanting restoration. You're wanting peace in a relationship. For some of us, we, we just can't even put our finger on it. We don't know exactly what it is. We just know that there's something missing, that there's something in our life that's not right. And uh, how we go about finding it and how we go about solving that says a lot about what we treasure in our heart and what's important to us. And so we're going to look at a story in the Bible of a woman, uh, it's the woman at the well, it's John chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and we're going to look at this story that where Jesus is having this one-on-one -on -one conversation with this woman, because there's something in her life that's missing, and at first, I don't know if she realizes it, or, or if she's just uh, trying to ignore it, but God's going to have, or Jesus is going to have this conversation with this woman, and he's going to bring out four truths that eventually will transform her life that I believe that these truths can transform our life today as well. So we're in John chapter 4, begin reading in verse number 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing many more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize them, it was his disciples. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. 
And if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, if you don't mind highlighting, if it's on, on your Bible app, you can highlight this. This is a verse. I'm going to have you highlight a couple of verses as we go through this. This is one of the verses that I want you to highlight. It's verse number four. Jesus had to go through Samaria on his way going back to Galilee. It says, eventually he came to Samaria village named Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his long walk, sat wearily beside the well. It was about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at, the, at that time because he had sent his disciples into the village to buy food. And here's the first truth that transforms her life, and this is it. Jesus purposely looks for those who are hiding. Jesus is intentional about looking for people who are hiding. Now, that verse that I had you highlight said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, technically, he didn't have to. There were a lot of different paths that led from uh, Judea to Samaria. Judea would have been further south. Samaria was actually off to the left a couple of miles. So Jesus going to Samaria before he went to Galilee, he actually had to go out of his way. And most Jews would not do that. Not because just it was, a longer, it was a longer trek. It's because they did not get along with the Samaritans. And so many Jews, like 99.9% .9 of the Jews, would actually go right and they would go across the Sea of Galilee just so that they wouldn't have to go through that territory. And we'll talk about that, uh, why they did that in just a minute. So, but Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. He was purposeful. He said, this is something I have to do. Not only that, but I, I think Jesus was purposeful that he sat down at this well. The Bible says that he'd been traveling from Judah uh, and, and went through Samaria. He's, he's sitting at this well, which is a perfect place to sit if you're tired and you're thirsty. Why not sit at a well? It has water there. But it's not a great place to sit if you don't have a bucket and a rope. It's like going to the grocery store when you're hungry. That is the worst place to go if you're hungry. You're going to buy everything. And so Jesus is sitting at this well, but he has nothing to be able to draw water. So he's just looking at this water. He's tired, he's thirsty, and he's sitting at this well. But I believe he does so because he knows, because he's God, this woman's going to come to this well, and he's going to have a conversation. There's something else that I think he does on purpose, and that is he sends his disciples into the city to go buy food. You say, well, why would he do that? I mean, does it... Do you really need all 12 guys to go grocery shopping? I mean, it's hard enough for one guy to go grocery shopping. My wife doesn't always trust me with a list. She'll give me a list because she doesn't trust me going to the grocery uh, store by myself. Does he really need to send all 12 of his guys to the grocery store? Couldn't he send just Peter, James, and John and, and Judas because he had the money? Did Jesus need some alone time? Is that why he let them all go? I don't think that's it. I truly believe that Jesus was purposeful in, in, in sending them all away because he knew that if all 12 guys were around this well, this woman would not approach the well. She'd be sketched out. Like, what are these guys? What are they doing? Why are they here? And so she wouldn't have approached. So Jesus, in a very intentional way, makes his way to Samaria, to this city, sits at this well, which is strategic, and then purposely sends his disciples away so that he can have a conversation with this woman. So who is this woman? Why, why would Jesus go out of his way and do all these things just so he can have a conversation with this woman? 
Well, I think something in the text gives us an indication of what's going on in her life. And that's that she comes to the well at midday. It's 12 o'clock. And she's coming to the well, which I, th- I think that's lost in our culture. Like, we turn the faucet on, and there's water. Like, we're not walking a mile, two miles to a well and, and, and digging down there and bringing it up. It's not like she, she brought, like, something like this to grab water. She would have to grab enough water to take care of her entire family and any animals that they had. Or she would have to come back several times in a day. And that, that would take all day if, if the well was a couple of miles away. And she's coming at noon, which is not the typical time that most of the women would come to the well. Why would she do that? I believe it's because she was hiding. I believe she was living in isolation. Um, she, she did not want to go to the well when everyone else went to the well because that's where they would go there to gossip and, and catch up on the news of the day. And if she was there, she knew that she'd be the center of attention. She would be the topic that they'd be talking about because of her past and even the decisions that she's been making today. See, the water well was, more, it was like the bubbler at work. It was like the break, the break room. That's where all the juicy stuff comes out. And she just didn't want to be a part of it. So she was hiding. She was in isolation. You can hide from everyone, but you can't hide from God. David in Psalm 139. Now, David is a great hider. For 10 years, he was hiding from Saul. He was on the run. But this is what he says in in Psalm 139. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, he's referring to God, you're there. If I go to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, and if I dwell in the farthest oceans, your hand's there to guide me. And your strength will support me. I could ask that the darkness hides me and the light around me becomes night. But even in darkness, I couldn't hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day and darkness and light are as the same to you. David recognized that no matter where you go, no matter how good your hiding spot is, Like you can hide from your family, you can hide from your friends, you can hide from your parents, you can hide from your boss, you can try to hide from your past, but you cannot hide from God. And this time of year, there's a lot of people that try to hide. They live in they live in seclusion. They they live in 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 silence because of the pain of their past or what they're going through right now. And, And God wants you to know that you can hide from everyone but you can't hide from God. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. The son of man came to seek. He, he purposely comes and he looks for those things that are lost, those things that are hiding. While many of us might suffer in silence, we might suffer in isolation. We may not let someone in on what's going on in our lives, but Jesus, he knows. So you might be here today and you might think, you know, no one knows. No one cares. No one has a clue of what I'm going through. And, and you might be right. We may have no idea of what, what's going on in your life and the turmoil and the pain that you're going through. But I want you to know this from the story, and this is the truth. Jesus knows, and he cares. And Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. He's willing to rearrange everything that's going on so that he can meet you and so that he can help you. That's the first truth that you have to understand. 
God is seeking out those who are trying to hide. The second truth that we find from the story is this. Jesus offers eternal life and not temporary satisfaction. Verse number nine. So the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you. And again, if you don't mind underlining, I would underline that part. He says, and who's speaking to you? You would ask me, and I would give you living water. Another phrase that I would underline. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. So Jesus is sitting at this well, and he has no way to get water. He says, and the well is very deep. Where are you going to get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? And how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? But Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, and again, I'll have you underline this phrase, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give, highlight, underline, you'll never thirst again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, and it gives you eternal life. So Jesus comes to this woman, and he asked her for a drink. And she's shocked. First of all, like she probably hasn't seen a Jewish person in this town in a long time. Because, again, they, they wouldn't go this direction because they didn't like Samaritans. And so she's shocked that she's even having a conversation, let alone that he's asking that she draw some water and give it to him. Because anything that a Samaritan would touch would be unclean in the Jewish person's eyes. Because they were unclean people. When the northern, uh, the northern tribes were overrun by the Assyrians, those Jews intermarried with, with uh, the Assyrians and they became Samaritans. So they were half Jewish and half something else, Samaritans. And so they became Samaritans. And so the Jews were like, ah, eh, you know, you, you are not pure blood. And so they, they had nothing to do with them. And so because they wouldn't like being around them, they wouldn't let them go to temple. So they couldn't go to temple, so they were ceremonial and clean. So the Samaritans, they set up their own temple in a different mountain. And so the Jews were like, you're, 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 you're not full uh, Jew. You worship at a different temple. Like everything about you guys is just wrong. And so we want nothing to do with you. But Jesus asked her a question. He has a need, and he's asking her to fill that need so that he can, change, he can switch the conversation to point out something that she needs, and that's living water. Really what he's saying is, I have something that you've been desperately seeking for, and I want to give it to you. We're going to find out something about this woman that she struggled with, and I think at times we struggle with, and that is that there's times in our life where things, there's something that's missing. There's something that's just not right. And in the, in the movie Elf, we find out that Buddy, he's living in a perfect, magical place. He's living at the North Pole. Like, who wouldn't want to live there and work in Santa's shop? I mean, it seems like a really nice place to be, and, and, and Buddy loves it. But once he finds out that he's not actually an elf, it creates in him this, this emptiness, this, this unsatisfaction that now something's different, and I've got to find my dad. I've got to find my family. And he's not going to feel complete until he does that. Even though 
other things in his life are going really well, there's this one thing that's eating at him, and he's got to find it to feel complete. So he finds his dad, and his dad thinks he's crazy. Like, okay, he's a grown man wearing an elf suit, thinking he's an elf. I would think that he's crazy too. So the dad takes him to a doctor to find out, is this guy crazy, or is he really my son? Here's a clip. Because it's sanitary for the other patients. Now sit still so I can do the finger prick. <gasps> finger prick? <gasps> it's cold. Yeah. Just please sit still, please. Okay, can I listen to your necklace? No, you can't. Can you just sit still? Why is there a skeleton? I don't know. What, Walter, could you please, like could you please have him sit Does still so I can do no, this? No, he hasn't got a name. I'm sorry, man. I'm just waiting. Please sit still, please. He got mad at me. Yes, he did. He did. The sooner you sit still, the sooner we can get this mess over. Okay. Then can we eat sugar plums? You betcha. We'll eat sugar plums. Gingerbread houses, and we'll even paint eggs. We'll paint eggs, that's easier. Ow! My finger has a heartbeat. <laughs> that is hilarious. It makes you want to watch the movie if you've not seen it this year. But Buddy wasn't crazy. He was different, but he wasn't crazy. What Buddy was was incomplete. And until he could find his dad and his dad accept him for who he was, he, he had this hole uh, in, in his life. And Jesus is talking to this woman, and that's what he's saying. Until you can, can understand uh, that I have this living water that's better than the temporary stuff that you're going to, you're not going to feel fulfilled. And so Jesus is going to use this analogy of the well that they're at and a spring. So he's saying that this well, you have to come to this well every single day. You, went, you came yesterday, you came the day before, you came last week, you came last month. You've been coming to this well every single day. And it doesn't completely satisfy because you have to come back every single day. And this well could run dry. If it's a, if it's a rain-filled well, then it's not going to have water if it hasn't rained for a while. Or if all the other women have come from the village and they've, they've, getting, they've gotten all the water, then she could come at noon and it might be empty. So I imagine there were times where she had come to this well only to find out that it was empty or dry and had to go back home and be just be just like dissatisfied and Jesus is saying what I want to give you is like a spring that's always bubbling it's always fresh and it's always new see happiness doesn't come from outside of us it comes within us it comes from a transformed heart and as long as you're looking for temporary things to fulfill you're going to miss out on God's best see sacrificing eternal uh, fulfillment for temporary pleasures is a losing proposition and what Jesus is trying to tell us today and what he's trying to tell this woman is, what I have for you is better than your temporary fixes. The third truth that we see is that God's gift, this eternal life that he's talking about, is bigger than her past, her present, and her future sins. This gift that he's offering is bigger than her past, present, or future sins. Look at verse number 15. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. And I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come and get water. So in her mind, she's like, this is great. 
Like you can give me like this, like a, a magical jar that never runs dry and I'll never have to come here. See, she was wanting to forget her past. Every time that she came to this well at noon, it reminded her of the pain in her life. Why she had to come at noon. Why she had to come when no one else was there. Every single day, she was reminded of her past mistakes and sins and her shame and her pain. And so if she can forget that by getting this living water, then that's fantastic. And that's what she wants. But Jesus is saying, what I, like, you want to forget. But Jesus is saying, what I want to give you is so much better. I want to give you freedom. I want to give you forgiveness. You want to forget, but I want to give you forgiveness, which is way better. And this is how I know she doesn't understand. Because the reason she comes at noon is so that she can forget her past, so that no one will talk about her, so that she can hide. And Jesus brings up what she's trying to hide. Look at verse number 16. He says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says that you're right. Right now you're not married. But you've had five husbands, and the person that you're living with right now you're not married to. You have spoken right. You're not married. And so her response is, okay, you're not just a Jewish guy sitting at this well because you're thirsty. I think you're a prophet. Jesus is saying, there's something that you need and that I have. And when we have something in our life that, that's missing, something that uh, it, it creates this hole in our life, what we learn from this woman that, that typically we see in our own lives is that we will run to something to try to fill that hole. And whatever that is, many times it's not healthy for us. Like we've gone through this six, seven, eight months, almost the entire year of a pandemic. How have you handled that? For some of us, we have just eaten and eaten and eaten and eaten. We're emotional eaters. And so when we get down, when we get discouraged, we eat. For others, they're looking for attention. They're looking for um, affirmation. And that's what this woman was doing. Because she had this God-sized hole, she was looking to, for men to fill it. And Jesus is saying, as long as you're looking for this temporary fix, you're never going to be whole. When you're missing something, whatever you run to that's not God can become an idol in your life. It replaces what God should be in your life. Whether that's eating, whether that's um, attention from other people, whatever it is. For this woman at the well, it was the attention of men. And as long as she was holding on to this shame and the pain of her past, she'll never be able to grab a hold of what God wants to offer her. So she tries to switch the subject. You ever done that? You get into a conversation, and they start talking about stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable, and so you want to switch the, you want to switch the conversation. So she tries to do that, and she's like, uh, let's talk about religion. Now, that's a great subject to change. Like If you're having a conversation and it gets uncomfortable, let's talk about God. Maybe that'll make them feel uncomfortable. Or let's talk about politics. That'll, that'll, that'll switch the spotlight off of you. So she wants to talk about religion. And he goes, okay, let's talk about religion. You guys worship over here. And uh, what, what you do is not right. And he, he walks through the differences of, the, uh, of their worship. But he doesn't get distracted by her question. Like, she's trying to distract Jesus. But Jesus will bring it full circle because he's not going to let her off the hook. Because what she needs more than anything is a relationship with Jesus. And so he brings it full circle in, in verse number 26 when he says this. 
Then Jesus told her, I'm the Messiah. I'm God. The thing that you've been longing for, the thing that's missing in your life, I'm standing right in front of you. You see, Jesus didn't judge her because of her past mistakes. He didn't didn't shame her. He didn't condemn her. He did the most loving thing that he could do, and that was revealed to her who he was. She's trying to hide from her past. He's trying to heal her from her past by forgiving her sins. The fourth truth that we see from this story is that Jesus can take your greatest source of pain and shame and turn it into your greatest victory. Verse number 28. So after Jesus says, I am the Messiah, I am what you need, the the verse says that the woman dropped her water jar beside the well and she ran back to to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything that I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything that I did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, we now believe not just because of your story, but because we've heard him ourselves and we know indeed that he is the savior of the world. So Jesus is trying to get across to her who he is. And when she finally realizes that, I want you to notice what she did. She dropped her jar. She left it at the well. She doesn't need it anymore. She has this living water springing inside of her that has forgiven her of her past that she's been hiding from. So she leaves it, and she goes into the city, into the village, and she says, come see this man who told me everything I've ever done. Now, I know you guys know it because you guys talk at the well all the time about my life, but he has never met me before, and he knows everything about me. And he doesn't condemn me. He doesn't judge me. He doesn't shame me. He's forgiven me. You have to come see this man. He must be the Messiah. You know, Buddy had to leave the North Pole to be able to find his dad. She had to leave her water jar to go back into the, into the town to share what Jesus Christ has done for her. And in order to receive grace, we have to leave our idols behind. The same invitation that Jesus gives this woman, he's given everyone in the Gospels. There's a time in Matthew chapter 19 where this young man comes up to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, what does the Old Testament say? He says, obey the commandments. And Jesus said, okay, go do that. And he's like, I've done all that since I was a boy. And because Jesus knew what his jar was, Jesus leans in and he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. Sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, why would Jesus say that? He's, he, hasn't, he didn't ask anybody else in the Gospels to do that. Why would he ask this man to do that? Because he knew that that was the one thing that was keeping him from following Jesus. And unlike this woman, the rich young ruler who was rich, the Bible says that he didn't let go of it. He actually walked away sad. You see, your faith was meant to be contagious. Your faith was meant to be shared. 
One of the, one of the, the mottos of the elf is that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all to hear. And there's a person in, in the Christmas story in, Buddy, in Buddy's life that at the beginning of the story, she doesn't have a voice. And she's afraid to sing out. And Buddy's like, you can sing. You can sing in the shower. You can sing in the store. And at the end of the, of the story, she finds her voice. And her Christmas spirit is contagious. And this is, this is the clip that we have. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming. Two times. He's making a list, checking it twice. Gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Well, still no sign of Santa, but some spontaneous Christmas caroling has broken out right here in front of Central Park. Let's have a listen in. When you're sleeping, he knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Her Christmas spirit was contagious, and it made Santa's sleigh fly. And what I know is that if singing loud for all to hear is the best way to spread Christmas cheer, the best way to share your faith is to share your story. And this lady goes back into the town. And I want you to notice, the disciples went into that town, and they bought food. And when they came out, all they brought out of that village was food. But when she went into the village and shared her story, the entire town came out. And the entire town was, was um, impacted by her story. Like her story did more than the disciples going into that village. And I want you to know, if God has radically changed your life, he has given you a voice because he's given you a story. And he wants you to share it. Jesus is saying, I want to help you connect with your father. And I want to help you help other people connect with their father. But he felt... Um, Incomplete until he was restored with his father. He felt discontent. But when he was reconnected with his father and he had that uh, emotional connection, he felt like he was at home. I want you to know that God, he's purposeful. And, and he's looking for you. If you're hiding and, and you're suffering in silence, I want you to know that God knows what you're going through and he cares about you. 
And you don't have to suffer in silence. And you don't have to wait for somebody to come and find you sitting at a well. You can actually reach out and ask for help. I want you to know this, but you got to stop running. You can't keep hiding. You've got to let people into your life. And only God can satisfy your deepest longings. When you're looking for something temporary to fill the void, it's just temporary. It never fills what only God can fill. So my question is, what is your water jar? What is the thing that you're holding on to that's keeping you from following after Jesus? Just like the woman and just like the rich young ruler, you have the opportunity to set that down and you pursue Jesus. God has transformed your life. He has given you a story and he wants you to be able to share that story. And I know that can be intimidating, but maybe this Christmas season, you'll take one of the, community, uh, one of the uh, invite cards that's on your chairs and you'll allow this to do the heavy lifting. Say, why don't you just come to my church on Christmas Eve where they're gonna share about the love of Jesus. But you have a story and God wants you to share it. And when you do, and when you receive Christ into your life, your life becomes complete. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads with me. Maybe you're here today and you identify with the woman at the well. There are things in your life that you're not proud of, that are painful, and you just wanna hide. You've not shared it with anybody, and you're hiding your past. Maybe you're hiding stuff right now in the present. I want you to know God wants to do something greater than help you hide. He wants to forgive. But that's you opening up to God saying, God, I need your forgiveness. I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. And if you called out to Jesus today, just like at the woman at the well, he would rescue you and he would save you. Simply say, God, I am all in. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin, come into my life and save me. I'm all yours. Maybe you're looking to other things for temporary pleasures or filling an emotional um, hole in your life. I want you to know God wants to be there for you, but you have to set down that water jar. You have to leave it, leave it here, give it to Jesus, and pursue Jesus. I'm gonna ask you, who in your life needs to hear your story? Who in your life that is disconnected from God but knows you would benefit from hearing what God has done in your life. I'm going to encourage you to take a step of faith and talk to them about what God has done in your life. This woman wasn't ashamed anymore because she was forgiven of her past. You can share what God has done in your life. God, I'm grateful for the woman at the well. I'm grateful for her story. Lord, and there might be someone here today that identifies with her. And God, I pray if they do, they would realize that them being here today is not a mistake. That, God, you have worked into their story, being here, hearing the Christmas story, hearing about this woman, so that they can lay down whatever it is that they've been holding on to and chasing after, so they can accept you. And, God, I pray today that they do. God, all of us have things in our life that we pursue to fill empty voids in our life. God, I pray that we've heard from today and heard from this story that, God, those things don't satisfy and we've got to place them at your feet and pursue you. And God, I know that you've saved us for a purpose. And that purpose is to share our story with those that we love and care about. So God, give us an opportunity, even this holiday season, to share what Jesus Christ's love means to us, to those that we love and care about. God, we'll thank you for it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.